and you're back on equal footing. Out of studio tonight, taking this this uh, show, this call from the shores of Lake Ontario, the northern shore, Burlington, Canada. It's nice to actually to be out of the studio this time of year, and especially nice to be late uh, sunsets to enjoy, enjoy the season. You know, the last few weeks, in the spirit of the days of Av, these days of mourning and grieving of tragedies in the past with the Jewish people and then culminating with Tisha B'Av, we've had a lot of heavy shows recently. We've had shows that have been about the uh, common mourning that we experience, the, the uh, joining together in sorrow at times, and frankly about pain as a spiritual teacher. Last week was a a show about that, do we need to kind of break down to break through? We wanted to kind of step through the looking glass this week and address the more, uh, the joyous side of the spiritual path. But as always on this show, casting a critical glance at received wisdom. The topic tonight is the concept of Shepping Nachas. It's interestingly a very Jewish concept. Many you, many uh, of our listeners don't need an introduction to the concept of Shepping Nachas, but we'll do so anyway for our secular listeners, our non-Jewish listeners. We're going to get into the etymology of the words, but it's literally to harvest joy or to harvest pride from the achievements and experiences of others, not of ourselves. Some would call this altruistic joy. It's the opposite of the word schadenfreude, which is a word incorporated in the English language coming from the German that literally schaden means damage or sorrow or pain, and freud is joy in German. So schadenfreude is the joy, unfortunately, that we often experience from the pain of others, from the misfortune of others. But isn't it interesting that in the English language, in fact, none of the Western languages, the Latinate or the Anglo-Saxon or the Germanic tongues, have a word that's the opposite of schadenfreude, when we, in fact, feel joy by the joy of others. It's like vicarious joy. Well, in, not only do we have that word in, in, in Yiddish, and we'll talk about the Hebrew that it comes from as well, but it's a core Jewish value to reap joy from the joy of others. But a concept is Shepping Nachas. It's often distorted. It's often misconceived, and we'll get into that as well. I'm pleased to introduce one of my companions for tonight's program, the other being our executive producer, Leah Maznikos, a psychotherapist relationship therapist. I've asked her once again, as we've been getting accustomed to, having her step out of the studio and onto the mic as well. So she'll join us looking at this from a psychotherapeutic perspective. But our main guest tonight is a wonderful Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. And if you've been listening to this program for a while, he may not even really need an introduction. He's such a no-nonsense, 
matter-of-fact, down-to-earth Jewish educator and teacher, based in South, South Florida. He's a graduate of the Rabbinical College of Greater Miami, also the Central Above It Yeshiva in New York. He's a rabbi in Hollywood, Florida, with his uh, congregation there. He leads its community as the Chabad Emissary, and he's also a member of Florida Friends of Lubavitch for over two and a half decades. And apropos to tonight's program on Shepping Nachas, in his bio, he often has us say that being a father and a grandfather is the thing he's most proud of in life and also always striving to get better. And I bet you, Rabbi Korf, that a big part of being a grandfather and a father for you is Shepping Nachas. Because the, from, from kinder, the Shepping Nachas from our children is often where we most commonly hear about this concept as Jews. I remember very well, in blessed memory, my grandparents, my mother's parents would use that they spoke Yiddish as their first language, and they would very often say they were Shepping Nachas. Uh, for me, they were Shepping Nachas when I got into Harvard. They were Shepping Nachas when I got my first job at Goldman Sachs. They were Shepping Nachas from these outer world achievements. Interestingly, Rabbi, and you and I talked about this in advance of the program, I didn't hear so much from my grandparents that they were Shepping Nachas if I was, you know, becoming more religious. Or they were Shepping Nachas if I was seeing my therapist and making a breakthrough around, you know, my, uh, my spirit, my psychotherapeutic path, my mental health, whatever. It seemed to me that they were always shepping nachas from the outer achievements. And I guess that's my first question to you, Rabbi, before we get into the biblical and the Talmudic basis. What is it really? What's the real Jewish value of shepping nachas? Um, and I wanted to mention that you really sort of hit the nail on the head originally a while back when you said altruistic uh, pleasure or altruistic uh, joy. And in some way, in many ways, that's really what it's all about. And the opposite of that would be more than just simply, um, you know, rejoicing over the the pain and suffering of others that you are happy about. It's more the Hebrew words that you would use for the opposite of shepping uh, nachas, or in Hebrew, nachas ruach, nachat ruach, is uh, agmat nefesh. Agmat nefesh would mean more a, a sadness of the person, of the soul, a, a depression of the soul that you get from bad things happening to members of your family or to your friends. So this would be the general two opposites or two sides of the coin here. And insofar as um, what I can say is I think, you know, you sort of hit a little bit the nail on the head again when you talk about the nachas that your parents were having from you. Um, the truth is, you know, it's funny, you mentioned um, you mentioned about, uh, you know, parents having nachas, or I said also, I told you then, the parents have nachas from their children, and that's usually what it's all about. That's your legacy. That's everything that you're going to leave behind. You know, you're not taking your money with you to, the, to heaven, and you're not taking anything else with you to heaven. You're not even going to take your children or grandchildren to heaven with you, God forbid. But you can leave something behind, and that is your children and your grandchildren, or your spiritual children and grandchildren as well. But in this instance, I also wanted to mention, it's very funny, ironic, that normally we attribute nachats to parents and grandparents, like your parents had for you, had for you 
that they had from you, not for you, but from you. It's funny that in today's day and age, it's usually the other way around by many, many Jews, where you find a completely secular Jew who will have paintings or pictures of his great-grandfather who was a Rav or a Hasid or a scholar in some Polish or, or, or uh, Hungarian backwater town with the full rabbinical garb, and he hangs that up on his wall, and he has so much nachas, and he'll tell you, and he'll brim with joy from the nachas that he has that he came from such, a, uh, from such distinction. And yet he doesn't live anywhere close to what his great-grandfather lived like. But yet he still has nachas. And I would say that that nachas... Sorry for the interruption. That's that's where I I want to pause you for a second there, because I think there are listeners who may think, I don't need to listen to tonight's program. I know what shepping nachas is. I know when I should experience nachas from my children. I know I experience nachas even from my ancestors. I get it. Uh, you know, game over, I'm going to go back to making dinner. But you know what? In talking to you and in researching the subject ahead of the show, it may be, and I pose this to you as a, as a, as a hypothesis and a, and a question, it may be that really we've lost, in a sense, the real meaning of nachas, of shepping nachas, because it isn't supposed to be about pride, right? About us feeling like we're special, we uh, are, 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 we have a great rabbi in our ancestry. Our, our, our children, you know, a child became a doctor. He's wealthy, etc. Those are good things, but that doesn't that that it feels like that's ego based. And it was interesting. Nachas is more pleasure or joy than pride, isn't it? Nachas is part of your essential soul. It is something that you feel intrinsically, usually because it's a relative, and usually even more so a child or a grandchild. And there is no greater connection to your soul than your children and your grandchildren. But it can be felt as well for any person or any friend, uh, Jew or non-Jew alike, because you have a soul connection, as it were. And that's the real meaning of nachas. When you have nachas because my child's a lawyer or because my child's a doctor or because he's a, an accountant or whatever, or a multi-billionaire, some kind of uh, big uh, you know, company, investment company, those are all why you do definitely have pride from your child who's like that. And I've heard many like that. Nevertheless, that's more a sense of pride. And that nachas is the pride that they made it. And in, in, in some ways, that's what a parent wants. A parent wants to see a child making it. He doesn't have to worry about him anymore. And when he leaves this world, he knows his child is okay or his friend is okay. But is that the real, real essential or intrinsic meaning of nachas? No. Nachas really means based on what the way the Torah tells us nachas and where we see it for the first time is that when the Torah talks about, for example, the sacrifices that were brought in the temple, it always uses the word, it generally uses the word, that this was a pleasing odor to God. And our sages ask the simple question, God needs you to sacrifice animals for him to feel pleased? Matter of fact, you were talking about the morning that you talked about in previous uh, uh, weeks, 
and about Tishabov and the morning of the destruction of the temple, God tells us through Isaiah that we read on the Shabbos before Tishabov, God says, I don't need your cows, your oxen, or your sheep. Don't do me any favors. Don't bring me any sacrifice. Don't even trample on my courtyard, says God. Because if you're going to do it in a way that doesn't mean anything for me, that doesn't, and, and you live your life completely opposite of the way I want you to behave, then that your stupid sacrifices are just stupid. They don't mean anything to me. I'm not getting any nachas from it. Right. And so God knows, of I course, do- we have uh, lots of, you can have lots of examples of someone achieving in the outside world by measure of wealth or oh, okay. distinction or status. So we're talking where they're about, not, but I'm talking they're about. Not, they're not living a righteous, uh, a righteous life. And so not, it's, it's the not I'm not talking so much about righteousness. I'm talking about what a parent wants his child to grow up to be. And in God, who is the parent of all parents and who's our father in heaven, to him, when he says, Reach Michoach Hashem, say our sages, it means he's saying, It is a great pleasure and a great, you know, like you used the word before, harvest of 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 joy for me that I said and you did. In other words, for a parent to know that when he teaches his child, his child's going to live an ethical and good and, and, and as much as possible a righteous lifestyle, even though he does many other things. We're going to need to take our first break. One of the well, I want to get into after the break. I'd like first of all, I'd like you to give us a a very brief primer on where the concept of Sheping Nachas actually comes from biblically. But then I want to get into what maybe the a broader view because we've talked about the the Neshamot, like the, the this group, the family, the group of souls that we travel with, say, and that the fact that uh, of course there you like part of yourself, so you're feeling the joy from your children or your grandchildren or your ancestors, but what about Shepinachas around the friends' achievements, around even a, a community you may not even be a part of, and their advancement? We're going to talk about all this after the break. We're talking about Shepinachas, this wonderful nugget of Jewish wisdom, altruistic joy, the joy we are meant, not only that we do on occasion, but that we are meant to feel from other people's joy from other people's achievements. Isn't that a great concept? And it doesn't even exist in the English language. We'll get into that as well. well you're on equal footing with Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, our wonderful producer, Leah Mazniku, who's a psychotherapist, is also going to join us after the break. The number to call, and please be patient, because as I said in the intro, we're not in studio tonight. I'm in Canada. <laughs> Rabbi's in Florida. Uh, so if you call in, please let it ring. Please let our wonderful engineer, Dimitri, pick you up. We'll put you on hold. Let us know you're there. Number to call, 718, we're live, 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. And if you want to text in or WhatsApp in a question or comment to Rabbi Joseph Isaac Kaur for myself or Leah, you could do so. Don't call this number. This is just for SMS or WhatsApp. The number is 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062, and we'll be right back. So 
one of our great sponsors over time is Mechanical Arts Capital. Thank you to Mechanical Arts Capital for supporting this program for years. Mechanical Arts Capital is a financing program for watch dealers and watch owners. If you have a timepiece collection or you're in the jewelry business, you can get overnight financing against your inventory. Yeah, overnight. No credit check needed, no bureaucratic bank process, and you're not getting a loan. The repo structure is buyback structure that Mechanical Art Capital uses is halachically sound, and it also allows you to get money easily on your inventory, and then you have a right to buy back that inventory in a reasonable period of time. It's reasonable cost as well, the cost of capital. Basically like having a credit card, you can get a much bigger chunk of capital. How do you do it? Easiest way is on your smartphone, your Android device, or your iPhone. Go to the App Store and put in these three words, Mechanical Art Capital. That's three words. You download the app, take you five minutes, you upload your photos and videos of the watches. Within hours, you get an appraisal, and then hours after that, maximum a day, you can get your financing uh, up to $500,000. So there's a lot of capital there for you if you're a watch dealer, and, of course, lesser amounts if you're a watch collector. You can also go to their website, mechanicalartscapital.com. Again, download the app, Mechanical Art Capital on your smartphone or go to their website, mechanicalartcapital.com, for their overnight financing program for watch inventory and watch collection. You're on equal footing. Rabbi Korf, everybody, know, you know, you, whether you're Jewish, you're not Jewish. People have heard of the concept of schadenfreude, this joy you feel in others' misfortune. And even the best amongst us will sometimes feel that. You know, an annoying uh, coworker who uh, you know, falls off the chair or whatever, someone that you feel has not been good to others that has a misfortune um, come into their lives. You, when we're feeling it, we know it's wrong, but we feel it often anyway. Therapists tell us that it's one of the you know, kind of a base element, and I mean that in both its basic sense and its, and its not good sense, the base element of human nature is schadenfreude, this uh, pleasure in others' misfortunes. But in Judaism, we're taught to have the opposite of schadenfreude, the shepnachas, to reap joy in others' fortune. Now, Rabbi, most people think about it, as you were talking before the break about this, in their own family. It, is it really limited to your own family, or can one... Uh, spiritually, should you feel joy more broadly about people that are not related to you, and even perhaps people, I don't know, at the extreme that are your enemies? So, um, actually, um, in the Torah does teach us in ethics that it is a something that every person has to work for, and as you said, it's very, very difficult. Um, just as it's difficult not to begrudge somebody or hold a grudge, which is also biblically biblically prohibited, actually. And yet it's one of the hardest things to overcome. And schadenfreude is as well. And yet the Torah does tell, the Talmud does tell us, In the, or I think it's King Solomon, actually, in the fall of your enemy, do not rejoice. In other words, 
remember that nothing happens without God's divine providence. So whatever happens, you don't deserve the credit, and you shouldn't reap the joy. And on the contrary, he's a human being, and therefore you should not rejoice, because it can always happen to you as well. That's only just a simple rationale. But in general, to rise above your base instincts, you should not uh, rejoice in the fall of your enemy. And in the same way, yes, that nachas uh, ruach, or shepping nachas, which means in Yiddish, drawing nachas, taking nachas from others, is not confined to family. It's usually used in that term because that's the natural way. Naturally, you don't have to work hard to shep nachas from your own family, let alone your children or your grandchildren. As I, I you know, as I said, that the the Talmud tells us there are, there are two people who are not jealous of others: a father for his children or his grandchildren, or a teacher, a good teacher, a spiritual teacher for his uh, students from his students. They don't have jealousy for that. Everything else you have jealousy for. So usually, nafas yeah. works well and easily with your own children and your family. But you're right, when it comes to those outside of your own, uh, that's where you have to work on being altruistically joyous for the success of others, no question. Rabbi, when we were but preparing yeah. for this program, I was surprised by Learn to Learn, and I'm embarrassing myself, I think, on air by saying this, but that the concept of shepping nachas is actually, uh, uh, not only is it Jewish cultural wisdom, but it's, it's, it's a spiritual, it's grounded actually in the Torah and in Talmud. Briefly, where does it come from? Where, where, where do we get this, uh, the first, mandate? The, fir- the first time this is used, and when it's usually used, you always find it in God's nachas, that he sheds, that he draws from his children, especially when they bring the sacrifices in the temple. And there, it's because the whole reason why it's used mostly over there is because karbanot, or sacrifices in Hebrew, karbanot really always, it means differently. It's a different meaning, really. means keruv, to become close. When you bring a karban, a sacrifice, it's a matter, a way to do teshuvah, to repent. As a matter of fact, it says, if you just bring the technical sacrifice without returning with your heart, then the sacrifice means nothing. So you have to have that mental and that spiritual and, and, and emotional return to God to want to get close to God. That means you want to become close to your father in heaven. When a father sees his child trying to get close to him, that's the altruistic nachat that he has from his child, just the closeness. Not whether he's going to become a doctor or a lawyer or a scholar or a rabbi or a sage. That's nothing. That has nothing to do with what God is having the nachat. God is having the nachas that his children want to be close to him, that they come to his temple, that they come to sacrifice to him, meaning to say, to sacrifice their own animalistic soul, which is signified with the animal that you're sacrificing on the altar. That's the nachat ruach, the shepping of nachat that God has from his children. Now, I find it fascinating, and I hope I'm not the only one, that this concept of altruistic joy doesn't exist or hasn't until very recently existed, even in the lexicon of psychology, much less common lexicon. And now, I, I hope she's there. I want to invite uh, our executive producer, Leah, who's also a psych- psychotherapist, works on relationship issues, to join us. She informed me 
that actually is starting to see a word in the English language that, that is the opposite of schadenfreude. It is around this taking pleasure in others, uh, others' joy. And, and uh, it's the word compersion. Now, now, my understanding is that this word comes from a Latinate word from the, mid, the uh, Middle Ages, or at least uh, up to the 16th century, so up to the Enlightenment period, that then since died away, but it existed in, in English and in French and in Spanish, even in German. And it came from the Latin compersionare, which is to co-inherit something. So it's like to feel joy and you're inheriting a, inheriting a wonderful thing, but you're doing it with someone else. And this word has begun to take hold, Leah, if I'm, if I'm not correct, if, if, I, if I'm not wrong, um, in psychology. It is compersion an equivalent in the secular world to shepping nachas? I don't know, Leah, if you're there, if you can, uh, maybe you're on mute. Everyone here. Can people hear me now? Now we've, now we've got you. <laughs> Wonderful. Hello, everyone. Yes, yeah, definitely. Compersion. Uh, and funnily enough, it's only starting to become more and more popular. It was, the term was first coined and uh, defined in the early 70s to 90s by a polyamorous San Francisco-based group. Uh, so that's how the word became popular. Then it sort of died down. And now with the rise of alternative relationship structures, the word has uh, become alive again, and it's a buzzing word. And it's actually uh, what, what inspired us or me to do the show today because it's, uh, it means to feel... The whole—I mean—to be wholeheartedly participating in the happiness of others, even though it does not directly benefit you. So, to, to the sympathetic joy that we feel for someone else, even when their experience doesn't necessarily affect us. So, it's exactly shepinahas, and it's the—and uh, it's the um, antonym of jealousy. Now, now, let me ask you both, Leah and, can I, and Rabbi Can I just Gord, interject? Was it Dove? Dove, can I interject to what Leah just said? I just want to say, while it's new in the uh, in the, thera- in, the in psychology, maybe, or in the English language, I can tell you, for example, that Rambam, Maimonides, uh, talks about the laws pertaining to blessings. And one of the laws that, and it comes from the Talmud, one of the laws that it talks about is that when you have something, like for example, he takes a very stark example, when your father dies. So on the one hand, you've got to say the blessing, Baruch Dayan Emet, blessed are you, God, the true judge. It's a time of sadness, and you've got to accept it in a way that shows God you have faith and trust in him. At the same time, when you receive, and if you're one of, of many siblings or one of two siblings even, and you both receive a, an inheritance, says the Rambam, you've got to make another blessing. Baruch HaTov V'Hametiv. Blessed is God who does good, meaning good for me, V'Hametiv, and who does good for others, for another. So you see that even God, a blessing with God's name, which is very, very serious to be able to say God's name for no reason other than if it is necessary to praise God. And the praise is that you have this true joy in the fact that your brother or your sister is sharing in this inheritance together with you. And I think this is very similar to this idea and what 
a person can have nachas from or joy from in relating with another person or with a friend even it's in fa- the same way. I find it I fascinating, want, I want Rabbi. To- I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because now I'm going to, after the show, I'm going to need to go down the rabbit hole and try to see if there was some sort of crossover, as there often is, between the, uh, in that period of time with Maimonides around the uh, secular uh, philosophical dialogue and, and, and Jewish wisdom and Jewish philosophy, because both words, or, or both meanings, perhaps I should say, do have to do with this concept of inheritance, which then, then connects to ancestry, which connects to the neshamot, to the group of your mishpacha, your group of, of family souls, in a sense. So it's fascinating stuff, but I do want to bring me back, I want to bring us back, both you, you Rabbi and you, Leah, we may have to cover this after our next break. We're going to take it in a second, but it'll give you a minute to think. It's easy, I think, for listeners to capture that it, you should feel altruistic joy for the achievements and the health and the joy and the lives of your children, your family, uh, even maybe folks close in your community. I think the tougher question comes when it's further away from you. Is that a spiritual mandate? And the, and the extreme version, which I do want to ask you both, so get prepared, is should you ship nachas from the achievements, from the pleasure, from the joy and wonderful things that happen in the camp of your enemies? And you addressed it, not, you said, Rabbi, carefully, I realize that you said biblically you should not take, uh, you should not, I guess, rejoice in the fall of your enemies. But should you, in fact, rejoice in the achievements of those that you consider the them, you know, this us versus them that unfortunately is polarizing society globally, should you actually have that joy from the achievements of the them, of the community that's not us? We'll be right back on equal footing, talking about Shepping Nachas. Is it truly the opposite of Schadenfreude? We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught I was told uh, by our executive producer and tonight also a guest that I should mention that all of the music tonight is from a Hasidic reggae band based in Israel, also occasionally performed in the United States, called Schlepping Nachas. <laughs> what a great find. Check them out. <laughs> Hasidic reggae band what called Schlepping Nachas. Right, exactly. Uh, so, wow. all right. So, Rab- Rabbi... I, I, I threatened before the break to ask you a tough question. I mean, guess, guess I what? Heard I'm your question. 
I'm going to make it tougher, though. I'm going to make it tougher. And I wanted to tell you. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I wanted to tell you that it was actually a brilliant question and and very astute. Well, when I ask it the way I want to ask it, you may not think so. You may be upset. I hope you'll still come on the program. No, God The way I'm going to ask it is I think the extreme. I'm going to try to go right to the end, right to the, right to the edge. I think the extreme for the religious Jewish community in the United States, at least, and to some extent, I think, the Jewish community globally, would be the, 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 uh, to think about the Palestinian community. And I'm not asking, I'm not asking a political question. And, and there's so much, there's so much, uh, history, uh, history of tension, of antagonism, of blood. Should we as Jews, Shep Nacha, when I guess there's a, say, economic achievement in, uh, in the Palestinian, within the Palestinian Authority, when there is some sort of improvement, let's say, in uh, mortality rates, uh, or education, or something that one can't argue is good. A, a, when a good thing happens in the Palestinian community, should we actually shep nachet? Should we as Jews? Do we have a mandate to reap joy altruistic? So let me answer you again, once again, based in halacha. There is a halachic premise, principle, that although, for example, on Shabbos, there are certain things you're allowed to officially only do for Jews, and not necessarily for non-Jews. Nevertheless, Mipnei Eva, it says, this is on the reverse side, that if, since we have an obligation because we live amongst other nations and other people, so as not to uh, um, fire up any hate or any enmity between Jews and their neighbors, the things that are generally permitted to do on Shabbos for the sake of another for, uh, for the sake of another Jew is also permitted to do so for non-Jews, such as healing, doctor, working as a doctor, or ambulances, and so on and so forth. If you're going to save Jews, you have to also save non-Jews. In other words, here in the sense of your question as well, when we talk about having nachas for other people, even who are our, our enemies, we have to take into consideration that the altruistic aspect of it is peace and harmony amongst peoples of the world. Now, if that Nachasruach furthers hate and furthers war, then I don't have Nachasruach for that, because that's not the appropriate use of stepping Nachas. But if, for example, their leaders and their big politicians, who I believe are the main crux of the problem in the, amongst the Palestinians, were to die tomorrow, I would be shepping Nachas for all of their citizens who I guarantee you will suddenly change and will now push for peace with Israel. So that's an example of having Nachas for all people and for their good, whether it is for people who come and, and, and conquer uh, different parts of uh, Africa where people are suffering daily. And so wait, 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 wait. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Sorry, Rabbi. I, I, just, I just want to zero in on this because the way you said that was, interesting, but different than what I was asking. She talked about Shepping Nachas, for example, from a politician who's, who's reaping hate, leaving the stage for whatever reason. Use death as so example, or whatever the reason, and ele- elected out of office, whatever. But the question that I have on the table is to you, what about, for example, if you, you, you read about, you, you learn that the, uh, the Palestinian Authority, there was growth 
uh, economic growth that exceeded expectations. They made a, there was a ma- major improvement in health care. Should we ship Nachas? I don't know. Happened? I don't no, know. Fair. Because if, if that, again, and I did mention this, if that Nachas pushes war even further, then I don't know if that's the appropriate way to have Nachas. Because you don't have Nachas from people who are trying to kill you. I mean, that's just, that's not the way you have nachas from those kind of people. They're not here to, to foster peace or to foster friendship. So they're not your okay. friends. They are your enemies. Should you be happy when they fall? No. But are you supposed to be happy when they're successful? Not necessarily if that success is going to be used against you. No, then you don't have to be happy for that. I, listen, I'm I, just I think going the, to interject for a second to... Go ahead, Sure, Joe. Go ahead, Leah. I was just going to relate this, uh, the Shepping Naha slash compersion concept in modern psychology. And should you feel compersion about someone you dislike or someone that has done you ill? Um, and I, uh, I very much agree with what the rabbi said that you shouldn't, um, wish compersion for someone that wishes to harm you because that's your detriment and that's not a healthy coping mechanism. But you should aspire to feel compersion. You should aspire to put negative feelings um, behind you and reach peace and tranquility and emotional stability. So I don't think it's healthy. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Wish I'm not disagreeing. To have compersion um, for someone you hate because their hate isn't healthy for 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 hit for like for the person feeling the hate and for you but you should aspire to feel compersion you should aspire to reach a point where there's harmony um, and you feel happy for other people's happiness but until that time you have to do whatever is necessary to protect yourself and defend yourself and not be willing just to be happy for happy sake when it's not going to help you and it's only going to hurt you Right. And those, the feeling happy for happy's sake only leads to denial and repression and, and negative exactly. feelings of being buried inside. It's that's not a healthy coping, coping mechanism either. Thank you. I find it fascinating and beautiful actually when you have ancient Jewish wisdom and modern psychology it seems to have very recently discovered this concept kind of uh, converge in an understanding, especially when you bring it into the very complex realm of how you relate to your enemies. And it was a bit unfair to each of you to go to that extreme. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back one more, like, rung, let's say, and put it on the table, and let's start with you, Leah. We'll, we'll go the opposite direction. Now we're not talking about your mortal enemy. We're not talking about someone that's trying to destroy you or whatever. And for those who are listening, I was using the Palestinian community as an example. I'm not saying that every Palestinian is your enemy. Of course, God forbid, not. And I'm acknowledging that acknowledging that lots of different perspectives in this complex issue. The point was not to wade into politics. The point was to talk about the feeling. And I love how you separated, Leah, what we should feel, because if you feel, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that my enemy's uh, son just graduated from a major college. I, you know, it, it, could be code, it could be unhealthy for you, even mental health-wise. I get that. But let's go back a level. What if, right now there's so much polarization in, in our society in the United States where it feels so much like us versus them. And it's, it always happens around the presidential, as we get into presidential campaigning, but it feels more than ever 
for, for me at least. It feels like every presidential election gets more and more polarized. And I wonder if there, where I don't think it, you could argue, Leia, that just, you know, my neighbor, you know, I li- up, we have a house upstate, a lake house in the Borscht Belt. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of Jewish neighbors. Uh, and, but there, I don't, I don't, there's not a lot of question of, of feeling compersion. I, I feel compersion by Shep Nachas when I hear about good things happening. It's a, it's a community, even if I don't know an individual. But then I have a neighbor who's non-Jewish and let's say holds a very different political view. This is a real example. I'm not going to say my political view, but I'll say I have a neighbor who's a very different political view than myself. And he's very active and vocal around it. More so than I feel comfortable with. A lot of signs on his yard, on his lawn and constantly wanting to pick a fight and an argument. But he's also he has a good part to him. You know, we had a flooding of a local uh, stream bed. He helped. We, all the neighbors came together. I see him at the town meetings. He's like, he has a beautiful side to him as well. I can never call him an enemy. God forbid, even a mortal, a mortal enemy. He's, he's someone I don't agree with politically and annoys me and I get into arguments with. Now there, Leah, should I feel compersion? Should I feel altruistic joy with that person? Wholehearted sympathy, as you put it, for their achievements in life? Or is that still unhealthy? So the beauty of compersion that is that it's independent of race, religion, or political view. Uh, so just wanted to clarify that. Even though someone, even though you might disagree with someone, doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel um, compersion for them. But the way you phrase it is a bit tricky because you shouldn't. You're not dictated to feel a specific thing because it's deemed healthier or not. Your emotions are healthy as is. And compersion is just a very altruistic way of giving love and sympathy and healing to the world. So compersion is um, views people as intrinsically autonomous and like self-determined and celebrates their uniqueness. So if you're if you can bring yourself to see this person and their unique quirks um, and have radical acceptance that doesn't come easy, um, that then the feeling of compersion comes naturally. But that is very hard to do. There is a concept of radical acceptance that has to happen prior. And I think that's something beautiful that we should all aspire to, to do, but it's not if it causes more harm. Um, and now, if it's tricky, if it's tricky for you, it's going to be trickier for the rabbi because in, in psychotherapy, it's not really about mandates, is it? It's more about hey, here are different yeah. approaches. Some are more healthy yeah. than others. Now, rabbi, if I, I don't know, if you I, want I to have repeat to, the I have to. Not only, though, not only do I disagree with you about me being difficult for me. On the contrary, I actually appreciate very much what Leah just said now, and I don't even know if she realizes she's sounding a little too conservative and to the right. Uh, because it's usually the left that doesn't accept people as individuals, and uh, but whatever, I'm not going to go down that don't go down that lane. But I will tell you that on the contrary, it's actually interesting once again that in the Talmud and in the Code of Jewish Law, written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that once again when we talk about and it's very stated very clearly when it talks about. And forget about whether you believe it or not. I'm just telling you what it says. A person can take it or leave it. Now, when it talks about any of the punishments that the Torah talks about for a person, it's meant only as a kapara, as an atonement. 
And even prior to the actual punishment, the person has to uh, be given the chance to atone for and to and to speak to God on behalf of the atonement of his soul, for which God said the final completion of it is through this punishment. But then the soul is forgiven. So in other words, the Torah, the Talmud exhorts a judge and exhorts a rabbi and exhorts a Jew never to make the hate between a person and another an intrinsic one simply because he's not observant or because he's not a God forbid. On the contrary, and the Baal Shem Tov makes this the founder of the Hasidic um, community or, 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 or the founder of the Hasidic movement, makes it clear that the love, and we're talking now as, as a Jew I'm talking, between one Jew and another has to be so intrinsic, so tight, so care, so strong, the bond has to be so clear that no matter what that other Jew does, you must love him regardless, regardless of whether he has to get punished or not. It makes no difference. But the love cannot be taken away. So in other words, it can never be a personal thing. It can never be something where you're looking to schadenfreund another. God forbid, on the other hand, on the contrary, it always has to be with the right eye and with the willingness to seek out the joy and to seek out the goodness of another person. Yes. Generosity begets generosity, love begets love, and the positive emotional feedback loop is something that we should all have keep in mind when we interact with others because it also comes from within. You know, our emotional reactions and responses kind of are the key to having a positive loop. Yeah, I love I love this concept of radical acceptance, radical love, and I think we ought to do a show on that in the future because it's getting uh, By the way, it's been around the religious life and yes, Rabbi. You know what you just said now. The word radical is actually I think a great word to use, but usually we use a different word. But it's the same idea that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed because of sinat chinam, right? Right. Radical yeah. hate, warrantless yeah, hate. Radical hate. And how will we rebuild it? Ahavat chinam. Radical love. That's love. the only way love it. will come. Love it. We're going to take our last break. We'll be back with Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, with Leah Mazniku, who's a psycho- psycho- psychotherapist. We're talking about altruistic joy, shepping nachas, putting away schadenfreude, radical love instead of radical hate. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. I love this music. Uh, check it out online. That's a band called Schlepping Nachas. That's right. Uh, okay, what does Manhattan Medical's message about erectile dysfunction have to do with the religious program? It's a program that talks about spiritual life. You know what? It's about the day-to-day. Spiritual life is not about just what you think about or what you daven about in temple. It's about how do you approach the difficult things also, the things that are sometimes difficult to talk about that bring you shame. Manhattan Medical has been a great sponsor for a number of programs on this network, and they do a lot of great work in the community because erectile dysfunction is not anything to be shameful about. It can create great emotional pain and stress in relationships, 
and there are solutions out there. Manhattan Medical has a message for you. There are solutions out there that do not involve expensive blue pills, blue pills that many people cannot take because of comorbidities and side effects. Manhattan Medical, in their ED treatment, utilizes a new effective therapy that gained a lot of traction in Europe and Canada over the years and now is available in the United States. It's called Gaines Wave Therapy. Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for ED is non-invasive. It does not involve surgery. It is painless, and there are no side effects. For over 95% of patients, there are enduring positive results. Those are better results than the traditional remedies for ED. Uh, take out a pen and paper or get, your, get ready to put this in your phone. I'm going to give you Manhattan Medical's number for their Gaines Wave treatment for erectile dysfunction, and you do not have to be in Manhattan. You do not have to even be in the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you'll get a free teleconsult to start with, and you, you only get that free consult if you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's ED therapy on equal footing. Only if you call and you say you heard about it on equal footing, radio program or the Dope Tuzman radio program. Okay, here are the numbers. 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888 in numbers. 888-332-8739. One more time. These are the numbers from Manhattan Medical's ED treatment line. Enduring results for erectile dysfunction. 888-ED-CURE-9 or 888-332-8739. I've been caught Uh, Rabbi Korf and Leah, we want to get to some questions from listeners, questions and comments, because we're going to come up on the hour. And surprisingly, I don't know if we've gotten calls in the studio because we're out of studio, so I apologize to those who have called in and not gotten on the air. Uh, it's, it's tough logistically. We're not in the studio. But a lot of you have sent in questions and comments. I'm going to try to get to a couple of them now. Surprisingly, it's gotten a lot of engagement. I say surprising because I feel like Shepard Nachas is something people say, oh, I know what that's about. What you've learned tonight is it's a lot. It's about much more than you thought, and perhaps it's different. And the way you've been thinking about Shepping Nachas is not what you should be thinking. Not just about pride and ego. And my daughter went to a great medical school, or whatever. It's deeper. Joy and others' joy, not just pride. Okay, a couple of questions um, here. So I'm going to translate from the Spanish. I love when we get listeners who are non-Jewish, and even listeners probably perhaps struggling a little bit, and not in their native language. Carolina Delgado um, makes the point, translated here from the Spanish, that it's easy to talk about these issues of compersion when we talk about the political parties in the United States. But that's because we're not growing up in a place where another someone belongs to another political party may actually be out to hurt us. I grew up surrounded by terrorism and civil war. I will never feel joy for the achievements of my political enemy, and I shouldn't be told to do so. Now, I don't know, Carolina, uh, if I don't know if Rabbi Corp or Leah told you to, to do that, but what do you say, I Rabbi? We, I think we said the, I think I said, and I think even Leah said it more than best in, 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 in psychological language, that we've never said that. <laughs> On the contrary, yeah, it's going it, to hurt you. And the, 
if it's going to hurt you, you shouldn't feel it. You shouldn't feel double the hurt. You shouldn't, A, feel bad about not wishing your enemies that are out to hurt you well because you want to survive. That's our first natural instinct, survival. And, B, you should aspire to feel compersion under the right circumstances. And if you're living with trauma and PTSD, uh, compersion is down the journey you have so you like resolve your emotional issues and well-being okay. to then feel comparison. I, 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 I hear you guys, and I want to get to the listeners' questions. I don't want to dwell on this, but I would say, how does Carolina overcome that? That piece? It sounds like there is PTSD there, which is understood. Uh, even like your, a whole therapy, <laughs> lots of therapy. <laughs> Give okay, out my number. I'm available. <laughs> but not necessarily Shepik Nachas. Okay, let's get to another listener's uh, uh, question. Um, so Ellie in Manhattan wonders why it seems like Shepping Nachas is an Ashkenazi concept that you hear it in the Ashkenaz community a lot. But, for example, as a member of the Syrian community, I don't hear it as much. Is it divided? Ashkenaz? Sephardic? No. No. It's the, in Sephardic, it's Nachat. And in Ashkenazic, it's Nachas. And in addition to that, the Ashkenazic add a word, Shepping, which is in Yiddish, drawing Nachas. Uh, in, in, in the Sephardic community, you'll say, Lishov Nachat, or Nachat, you should have Nachat. But the word Nachat is not uh, a simply a, an Ashkenazic word at all. Okay. Uh, and, Another question here, Leah. I'm going to skip you on that one just to be able to get to a bunch of listener uh, uh, comments here. Um, David from Hartford points out that he thinks, uh, put it in the first person, I think that the ultra-Orthodox community, whether in the United States or Israel, has no concept of what you're talking about. I don't see it in the day-to-day. I interact a lot with that community. I'm Jewish, but I'm not a member of the community. And I do not feel that there's any consciousness of Shepping Nachas for anyone outside of their tight circle. Rabbi, what do you think? So I will will do a small mea culpa and say that, sadly, and I hope I don't get stoned for this, uh, that is, there is some, and there is an element of truth to that, uh, and it's shame. It's a big shame, and they, they're not living out the Torah spirit or the Hasidic spirit, and that's why I say. And maybe he doesn't have so much to do with Chabad, but wherever you go with Chabad, anywhere in the world, unlike even though we're also ultra orthodox, but we never let that stand in our way to have nachas, to enjoy, to have love. To, to sit and talk and eat together with people who are as foreign to me as they are to those ultra-Orthodox that he's talking about. The question is, are you willing to, li- to live the Balshemtov's way, which is what we're talking about, which is be able to chef nachas altruistically. And sad to say, some don't. They don't understand that. They can't, they can't figure that out. They need Leia to help and, Rabbi, I really appreciate your candor because it is important. This one of the things we try to do in this program is to be just candid all the time about the things we need to improve, not just, uh, you know, patting ourselves in the back as a, as a community. Okay, Leah, this, this question may be a little bit more uh, oriented to you. I'm not sure if we still have you on the line. Um, but 
Oh, okay. I'm being told by the producer we do not have uh, Leia on the line right now, so I'll ask this. To, uh, I'll, it'll be more of it's more of a comment anyway. Uh, so Chris from Brooklyn says, I am in an alternative relationship structure. I get judged often by people that don't understand it, but I'm polyamorous, and it works for me and my wife. The point that I want to make here is not to talk about this subject, but to say that I appreciate that the word compersion came out of our community, which many people do not understand is a community of love and acceptance, and yet now it's being used more broadly. So I'm told Leia uh, dropped off the line. I assume had a telephonic difficulty, but I do think it's fair, Chris. I'll just speak by saying, you know what? Beautiful ideas often come from unexpected places. And just because something comes from a place that some people may not uh, agree with does not mean it's worth it, it, you, you can't talk about it. You know, we often say in this program, you're not going to turn into a pillar of salt <laughs> by considering a different point of view. I don't know, Rabbi, how you feel about Christian science. I, I, uh, I, I don't know if it came from their uh, segment of society or not, this word. But as I said before, this word really, in other ways, in Hebrew or whatever, has been already used thousands of, hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the Jewish philosophy and law. Now, I do not, in the Jewish law and philosophy, it doesn't, it's not used, compersion is not used in the manner that everything is okay and everything is permitted. permitted. No, because that, then it doesn't, then the word compersion wouldn't apply. It would mean, because if it's permitted and okay, then okay, there's nothing wrong. It's not easy, not hard to accept. Compersion means to accept it even if it's not permitted or if it's not easy. And there is where I maintain is where you have altruistic nachas or altruistic joy. Altruistic joy means, as I just said before to the other individual, for the previous individual, is even if you don't agree with them and even if you see what they do is wrong and it's given, in our case, biblically wrong and so on and so forth, does it mean, therefore, that you should not have compersion for them or that you should not wish them well in general? Yes, you could. But at the same time, do not fool yourself or kid yourself into thinking that nachat means that you accept the lifestyle. That doesn't mean at all. What, yes, that's not at all yes, what Rabbi, yes, 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 we make that distinction many, many times on air. But just because you don't accept something doesn't mean that you don't feel happy for Correct. other people being happy. Correct. Uh, and I just want to applaud that listener. And, yes, the term compersion has been getting more and more awareness. And irrespective of your accepting of other people's, not necessarily you, Rob, I just, in general, I wasn't making this personal, uh, the joy you get from other people experiencing joy, that's an altruistic expression of love, and it's uh, an essential commandment of Judaism as well. All right. We could talk about this a lot longer. I'm glad you were able to get back up in the air later. Okay. So, Rabbi Joseph Isaacor, thank you so much for joining us, talking thank about Shepping Naches. We'll catch you next week. Blessings. And thank you, Leia, as well. Thank you. Yeah.